Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Patricia has an article for us. So before we dive into catching up on how things have been going, I would love to hear a little more about the topic we're going to be discussing today. Yeah, so today we're talking about grandparents and how grandparents can help and maybe hurt with work-family conflict. So, yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, grandparents often do play a big role in childcare. So that's what this is about. Awesome. So if you rely on grandparents for childcare sometimes, or if you are a grandparent, this would be particularly pertinent episode for you to listen to. Or if you plan to rely on a grandparent for childcare at some point, probably good to listen because it sounds like there's some pros and cons that people might want to be more careful about. Exactly. Yes, definitely some pros and cons. Um, I will say more pros, though. So (laughs) don't get too discouraged when just listening to this first part. (laughs) Get out of here, grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) You're going down, grandma. No, no, no. Grandparents are the best. (laughs) Everything's fine. (laughs) Everything's good. Well, I'm excited to hear what the story is around that. Uh, Before we do that, how are you? I know you just got back from a trip, so, um, and I did too, so maybe we could talk a little bit about that, but um, how was yours? What what was your time like? Lake trips and different sides of the country. Yes, Um, lakely. Yes, so many lakes, but it was nice. We had a good time. There were, it was definitely not as restful as I wanted it to be. I think I mentioned to you already about like, I got all weird, like my body was all weirded out by the altitude, which is strange because I've never had altitude issues before, and it's not that high, like it's basically a little bit higher than Denver, so I don't know why I was having issues by first day, so that was not fun, Mm. but generally it was nice, like we had a good time with my family, and um, we did get a boat and went on a lake, and that was kind of fun to like boat around the little lake. and it was definitely a different scenery, different setting than what we're used to. So it was yeah. nice to get out. That's awesome. That's very exciting. I mean, I mean, the altitude part, I feel like I should share. But um, when I was little, like my biggest fear <laughs> was to be in an altitude where I couldn't breathe because there was this My Little Ponies video that we used to have. What? <laughs> where like the ponies would um, like they were like flying like high in the sky and then they like got to a point where like the ponies started dying because like what? the air the air was too thin and they started to get like really sick and they were like falling out of the sky and like their eyes were closing and they would be like the air it's too thin like we can't breathe and they were like panicking and they were like all all the ponies were like becoming lethargic and like falling out of the sky and this some- is really morbid for a kids I cartoon <laughs> i think it was cuz it was like the freaking 80s so yeah um, so regardless, I like just stored it away in my mind, but like never said anything to my mom about like the ponies video scares me or anything. <laughs> and then like, like the first time I like went on a plane or like sometime I like grabbed my mom and was like, the air is too thin. We're all going <laughs> to fall out of the sky. I was like, so worried. <laughs> Oh, I was, like so baby concerned Katina. about finding myself in thin air. Like I, even though that's like not like a thing that happens that much like in life. But no. anyway, I was very concerned. But so I feel that's like that's really the, funny. 
hearing of your woes makes me it's bringing back flashbacks of my pony fears <laughs> oh my goodness i have to look this up because i watched my little pony and then i have no recollection of this e- at all like at yeah. all but clearly yeah i think i saw the movie and we're like basically the same age so i feel like i don't it know if it was like the movie i think it was just like a movie like it could have been like a very random like dollar store movie that my mom bought or something like i don't know if it was like the official pony movie it was like <laughs> It was off-brand that we owned. Yeah, (laughs) it was a pony movie that we owned. I don't know if it was the pony movie. Okay, okay. Well, that is bizarre. I mean, that kind of makes me think of when my this is like such a tangent, but my parents got us like an off-branded Little Mermaid movie. Um, (laughs) But it was like before. It was before the Little Mermaid came out on video, right? Like we had seen it in the theaters. And then between the theater and when the Disney version was out on video, my parents, I apparently, like, I think I found it at a store and I was like, I want to get it. So my parents got bought this Little Mermaid cartoon, but it was based on the real story where, like, the mermaid Mm. dies. Yeah. You know? And I just remember watching it being like, what? This is not the same story (laughs) at all. Where did she go? She just turned into sea foam. It was so, like, dark. Oh, yeah. I remember that that, I never saw it, but I remember reading in, like, the whatever fairy tales. Isn't it, like, Brahms or something? What's it called? I don't know. I don't know which one. Yeah. That that's what happens. Yeah, she turns into sea foam. That's not yep. happy. Yeah, and that's what the cartoon did. It turned her into sea foam, and I was just that's like, insane. "This is a very different story than what I saw <laughs> in the theater." <laughs> My mermaid lives. She marries Prince Eric. This mermaid <laughs> is a part of the sea now. I know. Um, yeah, Brendan and I were actually just talking about. We had the same for whatever reason. I don't know if it was just popular in Northeast Philadelphia, but. We had this same, when we were growing up, weird off-brand Pippi Longstocking. (laughs) And it was like, none of the words move with the mouth. And it was like really scary. Like the girl that played Pippi Longstocking was like really scary looking. And like, I don't know. It was just like, it was like kind of like scarring. But like, for whatever reason, we both had it. And one day we discovered, like we both had watched this like weird off-brand Pippi Longstocking like many times and Uh. we were just talking about how strange it was but that was also like it was weird and the kids did weird stuff and there was like weird songs in it that like just I don't even know but yeah you don't want to buy your movies from the dollar store I don't think maybe that's where my pony video came from and your mermaid yeah Yeah. I don't know where it came from but no off-brand stay on brand (laughs) otherwise you're gonna scar your children stay on brand (laughs) um well I'm glad that you uh had ultimately a decent time in your trip even though you suffered from my little pony disease for a little while um but yeah what about you what about you my trip was good um and similarly um I I had a really good time but the weather wasn't so great so we were like in the house but we played like board games and things like that um but the house was like super naturey, so there was like snakes and spiders and like all kinds of stuff like that and so um, that was like a little bit, I'm not really like a naturey person in that <laughs> sense. Like I like to be like out in nature, like take a walk, like go for a hike, like things like that. But I'm not like about like, oh, it's just a spider. Like who cares? Like I'm just like, <laughs> ah, <spider!" Yeah. laughs> so, um, so it was definitely being immersed in nature. Um, but you could always go inside and luckily there really weren't many bugs in the house. So 
there was a nice little separation between the outside and the inside. So if you wanted to get away from the crazy giant spiders and like all kinds of stuff like that, then you could just go in the house and it was fine. That's um, good. Yeah. And we went on like a winery tour. That was super fun. So there was like a lot going on that was like, it was a good time. We had, we had fun. Good. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. But it sounds like. It wasn't the most relaxing vacation for both no. of us. So maybe we're we, not like yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, maybe we. Well, and so soon we'll be in Palm Springs together. Yes. And that I feel is like definitely our speed. Like not. There's like a lot of nice nature to to view. But where we're staying and what we're doing will not involve like bugs and. Yeah. Um, thin air. No, yeah, definitely not thin air where like, <laughs> I don't know if Palm Springs is below sea level or at sea level, but definitely on the low end. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, there's definitely bugs and snakes and all that stuff, but most likely we'll just at the most see a lizard. Um, and what's That's really fine. nice is like, I feel like there's really not, I'm going to knock on wood because I don't know, but I've never, I usually get bit by mosquitoes and things like that all the time. And that doesn't really happen out there. So I don't, there's not a lot of moisture. Mosquitoes like moisture, right? So the desert doesn't yeah. seem like a mosquito home. Yes. And you get bit a ton by mosquitoes and so do I. So yeah. mosquitoes just love me. Like I got yeah. a lot of bites while I was there. Like a lot, a lot of bites. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it was really nice. It's really nice to go to the desert where like, that doesn't happen so like you can be outside at night with lights on and not get bit it's like amazing maybe that's why I like it so much (laughs) yeah that's true I mean that's a good point perhaps that is it's a a subliminal messaging about Palm Springs but I am really excited and um yeah we'll be able to report back when we get home we'll still have um another episode between now and then um but after that, we'll we'll be reporting from Palm Springs probably, or post Palm Springs at least. Yeah, it's gonna be so fun, and we'll finally get to Yay. see each other. It's been like what a year and a eight long months. Time. Yeah, it's been that's a, really a long lot. Time. Yeah, I know. It's time. It's time. It's time to frolic in the desert. <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm really excited, and I've never been there, so that's super exciting for me too because I know that it's your love. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to like experience it for myself. Yes, I'm really excited. Yeah, right. in my in my dream life, I have a beach house and a Palm Springs house. Those would be my two yeah. houses. But well, one day the dream <laughs> life can come true. Um, one please day, please everyone donate to Worker Being. <laughs> make Patricia's dreams come true (laughs) yeah give me two really fancy houses yeah please (laughs) she needs this you don't understand I mean it would allow us to spend more time in the desert together and record better podcast episodes right that's what that's that's what it's all about (laughs) that is really a good cause in my mind um so yeah so that's awesome we're really excited to be together um in the meantime uh, we can learn more about uh, the role of grandparents um, while yep. we uh, <laughs> will not be uh, including any grandparents in our trip to Palm Springs. We should probably get to bed early and get up early on some of the days. So maybe we'll act a little more like grandparents than we did on our last trip. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Every time Perfect. your creative transitions are just my favorite. Try. I just try. <laughs> Um, okay, awesome. So tell us about what is the article and, and what's going on with it. 
Yeah, so I love the title. Um, the article's called To Grandmother's House You Go, Aww. a cross-lagged test of the association between grandchild, grandchild care and work-family conflict. So the second half That's is cute. long, but the first part is so cute. To Grandmother's no, House I You Go. No, I like that. That's so cute. Yeah. Um, and it was written by Robertson and Evie, and it actually is like an early online read for the September 2021 issue of the Journal of Vocational Psychology. So it's really hot off the press. Super fresh. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Exciting stuff. It's not a topic I've really seen before that's very specific to grandparents and grandchild care. That's cool. I'm excited about this. I've never heard anything about this either, but I spent a lot of time with my grandparents when I was growing up, and I know a lot of people in our family did as well. So I'm curious to hear about this. Yeah, it's it is interesting because I feel like I have a lot of a decent amount of friends that have had the same experience. Like my parents are from Poland, so my grandparents really could only participate in child care with us when they were visiting or when we were visiting right. Poland. Um, so they would for big chunks of time. Like there are times that uh, my parents would like like one parent would fly us to Poland and then like leave us there and then the other parent would pick us up so obviously that would be like weeks of yeah grandparent awesome. child care but it wasn't like uh and early in my life um I don't really remember it because I was super super baby but um my grandparents I did have grandparents come from Poland for a few months at a time to help support so my parents did leverage grandchild care but it was in a very different way than I think yeah most people it was more like long, it was like concentrated, like mm-hmm. high density, but like, you know, in a shorter span of time sort yep. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. It was very, yeah, it was very specific moments in time where they had that kind of support. But, um, and I mean, technically the study could apply to that too, because it's really hmm. just about child, grandchild care, um, but it needs to be at least once a month that the grandparents took care of the children. So okay. if I guess my family wouldn't count then. So I lied. But um, okay. <laughs> for well, a that's year, all right. they had to do that. So, um, yeah. So the study really was trying to understand how grandchild care supports um, the reduction of work family conflict. So mm. when we've talked about like work life balance before, you know, we've talked about this concept of work-family conflict, which is very, uh, it's a little more narrow than work-life balance, where it's focused on like work and family, the family sphere, if you will, and how those two interfere with each other. But it kind of does apply broadly to life. But obviously, in this case, since we're dealing with childcare, it's really specific to individuals that have children and have grandparents that are accessible enough to provide care. Awesome. So, yeah. And I mean, I think that that is we could talk a little bit about how that might vary according to people's setups since people are like scattered more these days. But, you know, I grew up around the corner from my grandparents, my dad's parents. And so we saw them like, I mean, once a week, if not more. Um, My other grandparents lived a little further away, but we still saw them a decent bit and we would like stay with them sometimes. So um, so I'm just curious to hear, uh, you know, based on this definition, it's kind of relevant to uh, my scenario. So I'm mm-hmm. curious to hear more about how does it work? Yeah. And the thing that's interesting is that it is actually relatively prevalent, but I would have guessed more prevalent than it is. So it says that grandchild care as non-custodial child care, meaning that the grandparents are not the primary caregivers, is about 
um, 40% of parents take advantage of this type of care hmm. in the U.S. Okay. So it's not yeah. huge, but it's still a large percentage of people. Yeah, I think that's interesting, though, because that's kind of what I was thinking is like, oh, that's kind of a high bar for like the number of times that people need to be taking advantage of that type of type of care, given like how many people we know that live in a different place than their or far enough away from their parents or their partner's parents that, you know, they wouldn't maybe be able to make it that frequent. Um, So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, exactly. So it's not it's not super high, but I think because of the reasons you've said. So if you're close to your family, if you're close to your parents or your partner's parents, um, then it's obviously a little bit easier to take advantage of it. But a lot of people are uh, more spread out these days than yeah. maybe back when even when we were kids. So, yep, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so the study looked at that. They looked at specifically, like I said, um, grandparents had employees that are parents that lived in the u.s they worked full-time and they had grandparents that took care of the child or children at least once a month they measured um a couple things twice and it was separated by a year so in this study they had like time one let's just say it would happen january 1st of one year time two would be january 1st of the next year right so it's separated by a full year mm-hmm. and they measured Child care hours done by grandparents. So simply just asking how many hours of grandchild care do your children receive each week. Um, Then they measured how much uh, family interfered with work and work interfered with family. And so they asked a couple different questions. One was uh, for each of those, they asked things about time based, right? So the time I spend with family often causes me not to spend time in activities at work. That would be helpful mm-hmm. for my career or for the other side. It would be like my work keeps me from family activities more than I would like. Right. So they do ask questions about time and they also ask questions about strain. So if you're stressed at home, being preoccupied with family matters when you're trying to work and vice versa. So if you're so drained from work emotionally, you're not um, contributing to your family with the emotional availability uh if the work is too much. So they measured both of those. Okay. Um, and the final thing they measured was caregiving conflict. So this is where it gets interesting. <laughs> mm. um, so caregiving conflict is basically the extent to which parents and grandparents disagree on how to care for children. So, mm. um, and I think this is probably... For people that are parents, I'm sure that you have examples of to, as to how your parents would do something versus how you would do it, right? Right. Um, in terms yeah. of raising your kids. So they measured how much that happens, how often they disagree, um, how op- often they experience like open conflict versus like, you know, just stewing on it later. Um, mm-hmm. And how often they undermine each other. So like mm. parents undermine the grandparents and the grandparents undermine the parents. Okay. Um, in the last four weeks. So it's kind of an so interesting measure. Was th- So that conflict measure includes undermining? Like undermining wasn't a separate like behavior. It's all tied into one thing. Yeah. It's all like okay. it rolls up into this caregiving conflict. Okay. Gotcha. So it's kind of like both the feeling and the experience or the action of having a conflict. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. So it's a pretty... Okay. Um, I don't know if I would say extreme measure, but kind of it measures something that's pretty big. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, and I do think that that's interesting because no matter what you, no matter what the situation is, when you have someone else who's spending a lot of time with your kids, whether it's a, 
babysitter because I I know just from being having been a babysitter for a very long time um, that sometimes you know there are times when parents have to say you know this is what I would do and that might not be what your inclination would be to do and you have to go with it right Um, but in this situation because it's a family relationship I could I could see that people would feel like oh well they think they know but like I know better or whatever you know like because mm-hmm. it's a parent a parental relationship whereas like if you're telling a babysitter to do something and they would disagree with you there's more of like a pressure to be like okay I should listen to the parent because I'm being paid to be here and this is like a job as opposed to a grandparent who might just be like yeah whatever you don't know I raised you and I did a good job so see you later <laughs> exactly yeah it does create a lot of that complication when you have family involved for sure. Um, yeah. So it's kind of interesting because in their like literature review, they were talking about a couple of different things. And like one of them is, yeah, this potential for conflict that's a little bit harder to overcome, right? Because you've got the, this family dynamic where again, like exactly like you said, like, well, I raised you and I did a good job. So you don't know what you're talking about. You're my kid. I'm still teaching you how to do things. Um, so there's that. And then probably the vice versa, right? Like maybe sometimes the parents like just get mad about (laughs) what the grandparents are doing because they have their own issues. So it's, it's more complex. Um, but then it also did say that there's some research, some other research outside of this study that shows, that actually um, having grandparents involved in caretaking helps reduce like guilt. So hmm. parents feel more guilt if a child is like left with a non-family member um, than with a family member, which I thought was really interesting. So it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, at least it's with my mom. At least it's with somebody that they should build a strong relationship mm-hmm. with versus mm-hmm. like this babysitter that's maybe just a random person outside the family. Right, right. That makes some sense because also, I mean – you know, obviously people can form strong relationships with kids, a nanny or somebody like that. But I mean, you know, they're probably also like more like familial and interested and, you know, like they're, they're probably happier to take the kids and like just more intrinsically motivated to like be there for them. So then probably also not only do you feel like, Oh, okay. I'm happy to leave them with this person because I want them to form a relationship with this person, but also the person's probably also like more intrinsically motivated to make sure that they're like showing up and doing a good job because it's their own grandkid. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a big piece of it too. So it's interesting dynamic for sure. Um, And this study is kind of like just touching on some basic things. And I think there's a lot of room for additional research. And, you know, obviously they talked about that too in this paper. And I think that it's just like a really cool start because we, they basically pulled on this meta-analysis that showed that support from the family is super important for work-family conflict. And they're like, all right, well, let's dive into this deeper and let's figure out what relationships matter and how Hmm. and what's the difference is right so now we know family matters well this um study is gonna be like let's look at grandparents and then i'm sure that there's gonna be another study at some point that's like aunts and uncles and sure right you know whatever all those kinds of things so i think that there's a lot uh, more nuance that we can get into but this is kind of a good first start cool that's awesome so what did they find with all these the measures of hours spent and conflict and you know the also this caregiving conflict that's sort of a new concept that they put into the paper yeah so basically what they found um is that the number of hours of grandchild care at time one are negatively related 
to family interfering with work, both on, in terms of time and in terms of stress at time two. Hmm. So the more help you got from grandparents, the less likely you were to feel that your family interfered with your work. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So you had less interruptions. You had less things popping up that were butting into your work day or keeping you from doing things at work because ostensibly someone else is there to help you with that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a big one. Um, So like if you just look at that finding, it was very general and overarching. So you can think this is really good. So like I was saying, like it is good when grandparents are involved. It's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really exciting. But there is a problem. So they looked at caregiving conflict. And generally speaking, in this sample, they didn't have high levels of caregiving conflict so that's good Mm -hmm. so for the most part it wasn't as big of an issue but what they found is that if you had above average amount of caregiving conflict um relative to the sample right so there's an average if you had more than that then you had a problem so if you had a ton of caregiving conflict then actually what that does is it leads to less uh grandchild care later on so people are basically mm. avoiding giving mm. care to their chil- to their children through the grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that also led to more stress, more family interference with work at time two. Okay, gotcha. So if I am experiencing a lot of caregiving conflict, it sort of neutralizes the impact of what would be happening otherwise which is that it would have a positive impact on my family interfering with work instead I decide I can't really have the children spending that much time with the grandparent that I'm having conflict with so I withdraw the time and I perceive more family interference with work not only because now I've lost a source of support but also maybe because I'm fighting with whoever it is that is causing the problem on the grandparent and or my end Yep, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, so it's really interesting to see it that way, right? So you've got, you basically need to avoid this conflict. Like that's the the summary here, right? You, getting help from grandparents is super helpful, but if there's conflict, then you need to figure out how to address that and how to manage it. Um, There was a lot of additional nuance with like some extra analyses they were doing. And like one thing that they found is that parents who like live like they looked at different settings like who lived with who um Mm -hmm. which I think the samples were pretty small so I would want to see more research on this but basically (laughs) if you don't live with the grandparents you have an easier time of opting out of having the grandchildren watch kids um and therefore you can reduce this conflict more quickly but if you live with the grandparents then they're probably still going to take care of the kids. And so then you're going to see more of this family interfering with work kind of stress, even though the grandparents are still putting in a lot of hours because there's a lot of conflict associated with it. Yeah. And that makes some sense. I mean, not just from that perspective, but also I would imagine that having someone live in your house and not being able to create that boundary, especially if you're having conflict could have a whole host of issues associated with it as well uh, (laughs) because you're not able to separate um, from that person regardless. Yeah, exactly. So I think 
there's I'm sure there's a lot more nuance and a lot more detail that we could go into um, as more research comes out on that. But it does seem that not living with the grandparents can be better <laughs> to avoiding mm-hmm. the conflict. And then um, it also, I mean, kind of like a no brainer, right? If you live with a spouse or a partner, then you have more help and support. So generally you're doing okay, even if there's no grandparents there um, versus being single and mm-hmm. having childcare. So like there's a lot of different potential ways that people are dealing with childcare and grandchildcare that I think we need to dig into a lot further to get a better story. But I think the big takeaway is that generally speaking, having grandparents help is very helpful and can help reduce um, your family life interfering with your work unless there's conflict. So that's just like the big takeaway. Unless there's a lot of conflict around how to raise children and, you know, how to um, basically not undermining each other, then mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, if that happens, then it's better to not have the grandparents involved. But if you do not have that much conflict or have like a, you know, even if you have like a, a little bit of conflict, it's fine. It's just having that extreme amount. That's a problem. Right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because I would think that maybe a good way of approaching this might be to have a conversation just like you would with, you know, anybody else that you would be having watch your children about, you know, these are the things that I feel strongly about. These are things that I really don't want to compromise on. These are things that are important to me in terms of how we raise the kids. And like maybe even just having that conversation up front to be like, is that okay with you? Are these things that you feel like, you know, you're all right with because if you're not going to be okay with these things, then we might have to think about a different arrangement, not to like threaten your family member because obviously they're helping you, but just to sort of have those conversations before it starts to like fester up into, into like conflict. Um, Obviously like that can't always happen and you can't anticipate everything. And that might be a little idealistic, but just like how we recommend people have conversations like, before they get married about how chores will get split up or work schedules or, you know, what the expectations are for how the household will be run when things happen. Like maybe having that same conversation people might overlook because they just think like, oh, well, this is my parent and, you know, they kind of know what they're doing. And, you know, there might be some things about them that you're a little worried about, but you just let it go. And then over time it sort of builds up. Um mm-hmm. So it could be helpful maybe just as a takeaway to say if there are things that you think might conflict or even if you're not sure, it might be worthwhile having a dialogue about things that are really important to you so that the person knows ahead of time, like these are things that actually are meaningful to me and maybe people can sort of adjust their behaviors accordingly. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the conversation is really important. So trying to have that beforehand will be uh, critical to setting it up for success. So I think just being, you know, upfront with your family members and having that transparent conversation, I think it applies in all avenues of life, right? If you can be transparent and open with people and set up the proper boundaries and everyone feels comfortable, right? Cause it could even be your, like your parents might have issues too, or things right. that they're a lot comfortable with. And so I think, you need to make sure that they're able to express that to you too, right? You don't want to right. become a burden on your parents because they are offering to do some childcare for you. And I think it's kind of a two-way street. So if you open up to them and give them the space to do the same, I think it can be a really healthy conversation. Um, so I do think that's a really good takeaway. 
The other piece that I wanted to flag, and this is something that I think is really important and crucial, and I was glad to see that the researchers also mentioned this. Um, well, you don't know the impact on grandparents. <laughs> this study was right. really just done with the parents. So right. is this going to have, like, I think childcare for, you know, their grandchildren, a lot of grandparents love that, but some may not. Um, the other thing is, people are working later and later in life and what if they're still working does that create a new work family conflict at that stage in their life that they didn't have before right they've already they're empty nesters kids are the house and then now suddenly now they have another caretaking thing coming up that might be impacting their work um there's potential that this could push some grandparents out of the workforce earlier than maybe they wanted to because they feel like they have to step up in the situation. So I feel like there's a lot of potential impact on grandparents that we just don't know enough about. So as a parent that wants to rely on your grand on your on your own parents, your spouse's parents or partner's parents, um you might want to consider how it impacts them and keep an eye on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and you know, I do think that there is something to be said like from the perspective of like okay in terms of how kids are parented like the parent probably has more jurisdiction over that but whether or not they are being involved and to what extent in the parenting like you don't want to expect that grandparents are just going to drop everything and care for kids if they you know they might be looking forward to doing a bunch of stuff in their retirement if they're retired or they might like you're saying still want to keep working and so just having the expectation that they're going to be there whenever you want um and in whatever capacity you want may have some negative implications for their life too and it would be interesting to look at like marital conflict on both sides of things too if people are married or um i know there's a lot of scales uh on um on marital conflict that are out there in the work family literature or you know partner conflict um to take a look and see like what's that like right like uh yeah <laughs> is, is it causing problems in other relationships because people are there's a strain in terms of the amount of time or expectations yeah yeah and I mean I know it's kind of like a stereotype but it's possible you know people generally give more leeway to their own parents so if there's a disagreement as to how to parent the children that is coming from the grandparents like whoever's parents those are might be more willing to just kind of cut them some slack, <laughs> right? And then right. the spouse or the partner is like, hey, like, we don't agree on this and you're just letting it go because you don't want to fight with your parents. I mean, right, maybe right. I'm projecting my own life, but <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I just feel like both Danny and I give our own parents a lot more slack. Yeah. I mean, that's totally normal, right? Yeah, I do too. I think that's completely normal. Yeah, so it feels like, a, you know, as you're saying, a big takeaway is, on both sides, maybe a greater amount of consideration for one another. And also, you know, in trying to make sure that these conflicts are decreased, that setting those expectations, understanding what both sides want in the conversation and in, in the, um, and then moving forward and how things are divided or split up or what the expectations are for how things will happen, like setting that up ahead of time and being clear about what's important and what people are actually willing to do might help cut down on some of this conflict that seems to be the thing that kind of throws the the wrench into the otherwise positive effects. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the final thing I wanted to mention was around what employers can do. So 
I think, I mean, broadly, we've talked about this type of stuff before, right? Like thinking about the benefits we can provide. I think this study was took place in the U.S. and we know we don't have great childcare options here in this country overall. So from a societal perspective, something we need to be addressing, but organizations can also consider how can they help support like is there something we can be doing to provide better benefits or some sort of subsidies or something like that to parents if we need if they need additional help with childcare? And a lot of organizations will, I don't know what's going to happen now with this more remote focused world, but organizations have, you know, relocated people and continue to do that. And if somebody's got children and they're living near their parents and now you're suddenly asking them to relocate to a different state, a different country or whatever, and now they're losing this affordable, convenient option of grandparents, there might be something that organizations should consider in those situations. Like how can you continue to support that employee during the relocation when they're not going to have the same access to what they had before? Yeah, that's a really good point that kind of thinking about not just what childcare options do you offer, but also what and how childcare scenarios are changing for people as they move up and through the company. And so I think a lot of what we've talked about before and what that was making me think about is just having dialogues and making sure that managers are having dialogues with employees to the extent that they're comfortable, like sharing stuff about your own life and asking questions that are appropriate, obviously, but, you know, trying to understand what people need in order to find, you know, that, synergy between work and life that's best for them and you know making it clear that you're open to people sharing concerns about all different types of work and family conflicts so that you can help brainstorm with them around what would help them to be able to manage these transitions as best as they can over time so um, that dialogue piece I think even from the employer standpoint becomes important again of you know make sure you know what your employees are going through and how you can support Exactly. I think it's being able to identify what support you can provide. And that obviously is a win for everybody because now you have employees that can potentially balance their life better and be in less of a conflict in terms of work and life. But then also they're more likely to stay, right? They're valued. They've got what they need, the support they need. And so if you relocate somebody and you pay all this money to move them and then suddenly they leave because, wow, it's too hard to do this without grandparents. We have to go back to the grandparents you could have fixed that. You could have stopped that right. from happening by right. helping provide some childcare options that would be beneficial to that employee, right? So I think it's just thinking through what employees need. And of course, you know, we've talked about single employees without children, and there's all sorts of things to consider so that we're not giving more benefits or favoring a group over another. But I think that's where, again, this dialogue comes into play, like figure out what people need, what kind of support they need and give support to everyone. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, I'm really glad that you brought this up because I've never seen an article on this before like we talked about. I think it's a really cool and interesting new area of research to think about different sources of support and to get employers thinking about how they can um, ensure that they're thinking comprehensively about how changes might impact employees from a variety of perspective and to get parents and caretakers thinking about how they might be able to avoid some of these conflicts and maximize the positive benefits of um, these childcare scenarios that um, we need to figure out as people continue to mesh work and life together in many varied ways. So I'm happy that you brought this up. I really like this article a lot. Yeah, me too. I'm glad for the uh, to the authors for writing it and yeah. doing this research. It's great. Yay. Yeah. So 
to all of our wonderful listeners. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, um, you can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, and on social media at workerbeing on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, subscribe if you like the show, share it with someone else that can learn from it, and we hope to hear from you all soon. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.